even if you were in a position where you did have a high level of authority and power, the best product owners don't use it because they're operating in an environment where actually engagement, buy-in, alignment is actually essential for success across an organization, let alone outside the organization. Relying on authority generally doesn't create alignment. Welcome to the Product Agility Podcast, the missing link between agile and product. The purpose of this podcast is to share practical tips, strategies, and stories from world-class thought leaders and practitioners. Why, I hear you ask? Well, I want to increase your knowledge and your motivation to experiment so that together we can create ever more successful products. My name is Ben Maynard, and I'm your host. What has driven me for the last decade to bridge the gap between agility and product is a deep-rooted belief that people and products evolving together can achieve mutual excellence. And we are back for episode two of three with Jeff Watts. Now, I was so fortunate to have some one-on-one time with Jeff, and I couldn't resist but go deeper on product mastery. So grab yourself a pen and paper. As always, think of someone to recommend this episode to. Jeff is going to enlighten us all on what product mastery really means to him. So sit tight and enjoy the episode. And we're back. Episode two of Hopefully Free, depends on how quickly we talk or how long the conversation goes on for, where I'm joined once again by Jeff Watts. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Ben. You all right? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm, uh, yeah. Classic British response there. Not bad. Not bad, not bad, not bad. I was just trying to figure out whether I try and create the illusion that it's been like, you know, it's been a week since we last spoke and no. I've achieved this and I've done that, but no, it's not. It's like transparency, yeah. visibility. It is what it is. Yeah. I also have a drink for my unfeasibly large cup. Oh, this, cup. <clears throat> this is the downside, right? Because I haven't had a chance to refill mine. So I'm, I'm, that's I'm, why I get a massive one. So when we we're on holiday at Christmas time, my little boy did a little like kids raffle thing where they had to throw, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was like darts or something at balloons. And he won this and he picked this for me because it says, no more bad days. Mm, nice. And he said to me, here you go, daddy. If you drink from this cup, you won't have any more bad days. Very good. Well, I'm not Don't quite sure not- what the equivalent of this would be, but there's a phrase that stuck with me for a while. It's there's no such thing as bad weather, just just inappropriate clothing. I think there's no such thing as a bad day, just inappropriate mindset, perhaps. Maybe, maybe. Although some days can be pretty shit. Yeah, I, I you know, <laughs> I'll often preach to. I was working with some product owners last week, and I said, you know, what, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this, it would be to try and treat every situation that you come across with this mindset of it's not good. It's not bad. It's just interesting. Yeah. Whether that be a stakeholder interaction, whether that be you know the, the response from customer feedback, whether that be you know the, the developer's estimates, whatever it be, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just interesting. Yeah, well, it takes a lot though, doesn't it, for people to take that? I don't know to conjure up some curiosity. Yeah. To say, do you know, what? actually, maybe this is interesting, and I want to delve into it because I think it's all too often our own emotional responses. The things get in the way of us being curious, right? Finding things interesting and, and then delving a bit deeper. Yeah. And perhaps that's part of the thing. In episode one, we spoke about the challenges with these kind of knowledge-based courses and how what you're trying to do in Natural Mastery Institute then actually gets people with a bit of purposeful practice. It's very contextual. 
And I think this is part of a challenge, isn't it? You give people the knowledge and then as soon as they have an emotional reaction to something, like something odd, interesting, scary, whatever it is happens, then they're not going to be able to pick up that bit of knowledge and try and apply it. You have to have a certain level of it being imbued within you, it being a skill, it being something which is there to, to call upon when you need it without a huge amount of intellectual force to then delve deep and remember, oh, what was that thing they said? Oh, yeah, in this moment, I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should think about approaching it this way. Mm. But it's difficult when you feel like you just want to run away from something. I yeah. That's one of the nice things about the, the practice element. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time we get uh, well, in the coaching sessions, it will be, this happened. My instinctive response was, Arr! okay, and you know, what, what's another way of interpreting that? Because I know this is going to sound really trite and a lot of people say, it's <laughs> for you to sit there and say this, Jeff, but you know, even your worst experiences quite often, again, this other phrase, type two fun, where things don't seem fun at the time, far from it, but they make great conversation points at dinner tables in a couple of years' time. Mm. Or you look back and you think, do you know what? All right, it was painful at the time, but actually that was part of the making of me. And if you can accelerate that process, and often through guided reflection in a safe environment, you can accelerate that process. You can take adopt a different perspective of, okay, how much, all right, this is painful right now. And my initial instinct is I'm really annoyed, but actually how could this potentially be useful to me or adopt a you know, different lens and say, yeah. Bang on, I mean, I would love to, Spend the next 20 minutes just having a free therapy session. Like about my childhood. I talk about childhood and, like, and losing my dad and, and all of that. But I mean, if it was, if, if, if my dad hadn't died when I was 17, like, I don't think I would have achieved very much at all, if I'm honest with you. Right. Well, because he was disabled. So I was his primary carer and mm-hmm. I never would have felt like I could have left him. Mm. Interesting. So the fact he left me, even though it was brutal, mm. And many other things happened as a consequence of that. I think even then there was a part of me which was just felt relieved. Mm. You know, that I might, I might not have known to live or any money or any food or any support, but I do see a future now where I'm not going to feel totally like I'm going to be looking after my dad all the time. Yeah. And I love doing it, but it's a big burden to carry as a young person. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one from a sharing perspective, right? Because, okay, we know each other, but you know, we don't know each other that well. And yet you feeling safe enough to share that with me, I think it is a parallel to those smaller groups, those communities of, you know, all right. And you used the word should earlier on, right? Yeah, you know, I should be doing this. And that element of obligation of almost social judgment or even personal judgment of this is how I should be acting. This is how a product owner should act. This is how an agile leader should act. That, But actually getting past that should and thinking, well, I'm okay with these options in front of me. and I'm working this through. And actually, this is what I want to do. This is what I, is right mm-hmm. for me and the kind of person that I want to be. That's huge. And you don't get that in a training class, you only get that really through safe conversation. Yeah. I think in the in small groups, in one-on-one it's easy. And as soon as someone sets the bar for their level of openness, generally speaking, unless they have a big wobble, they're going to kind of maintain that level of openness and vulnerability. That's why mm. I think in small groups, even in large groups, maybe it's a little bit harder, but yeah, showing being openness and showing some vulnerability kind of sets a bar. And maybe for the other people in the room, you know, they've, I don't know, if we someone's talking about something around product management 
or product ownership and they, they made a big mistake and they're open enough or they explain how they felt mm-hmm. towards someone and they don't feel proud about it, but that's how they felt. Then the other people in the room, maybe not that session, maybe in future sessions or maybe in different contexts to feel a bit more courageous to kind of say, maybe it's okay to talk about these things. And I think that's yeah. one of the, one of the things that we can do is either provide yeah, people with that space and with the support to share things which perhaps they wouldn't want to share or do it ourselves. And this is one mm. of the things that I found quite fascinating when I was taught team coaching by a, a couple of brilliant people, Paul Barber and Lucy Widowson. And one of the biggest differences I saw between individual coaching and team coaching was that they were advocating that if you're in a team environment and you're going to go ahead and do something, then you should get involved too because you need to set the bar for how people are to behave in that situation. And it was almost like as a professional individual coach, I've been told to maintain distance and it shouldn't be a friendship. But as a team coach, they're like, oh, yeah, you can go out for dinner with a team if they invite you out. And, oh, you know, you can, if you're doing like a memorable object type activity, you can bring your own. And because you, you can set the bar for that openness and vulnerability because it's more difficult in that, in that group environment, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. But this is what... Yeah, many professional team coaches do in comparison to the more kind of traditional individual coaches. And I think it can be very valuable mm-hmm. for us to get involved ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I, I requested actually that in this episode, we spend a bit of time talking about product mastery, mm-hmm. uh, particularly your product mastery pathway, because product is something which is, I think, particularly in the scrum context and like feel free to lambast me on this if you disagree, but I feel that product is just something which has been woefully neglected. I think for many years, and it's understandable because IT organizations generally look to use Scrum and lots of people went on Scrum product owner courses and were taught things like estimation and maybe some story mapping or some other little odds and sods and maybe a notion towards some kind of roadmap or vision. And then the rest of the course was basically like a CSM course covering the same basic yeah. stuff. I, whilst in the Scrum Mastery perspective, kind of maybe that evolved into more of the Agile coaching world. And there's a whole heap of great professional coaching stuff now within that context. And it's not hard to find if you look around on the product ownership side of things. I still feel like it's just, yeah, been neglected. Like there's so much great stuff out there, which just hasn't been brought into the conversation or the, the general consciousness of product ownership yeah well i'm not conscious of time so i won't go too far into my view (laughs) the history and the evolution of it but in a way absolutely to me it makes a lot of sense that it was neglected for me i think if i was going to pick out one thing that was perhaps naive around scrum was that this assumption that the product owner has a certain level of authority so there was an element of you know as a scrum master you have no authority to be a leader but a product owner you can decide on prioritization you can you can ultimately pull rank on all of your stakeholders and you, know, you decide the release date and you decide this and you decide that and in reality that that's rarely the case hmm. and you know my stance actually is even if you were in a position where you did have a high level of authority and power the best product owners don't use it because they're operating in an environment where actually engagement buy-in alignment is actually essential for success across an organization let alone outside the organization relying on authority generally doesn't create alignment 
So they need to use their personal skills, right? They need to be able to build relationships. They need to be able to build rapport. They need to be able to understand drivers and goals and motivations. They need to be able to inspire. They need to be able to give feedback tactfully. They need to be able to take feedback tactfully. They need to do all of those things rather than just say, this is my way. And this is my decision. Yeah, Scrum originally was, okay, we need to focus on this team side of things. Product owners, yeah, you've got all this power. You decide this, you decide that. And yeah, just get involved a little bit, but you have a lot more, you know, the single ringable neck was actually a phrase that, that certain yeah. agile leaders used. And that's, that's rarely, I mean, it's not very helpful, but equally it's rarely the case in reality. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a, and not to go into it, but there is this, kind of bit of irony. I think it's irony. I don't know. Maybe it's like the Alanis Morissette song, Irony, where yeah. none of it's actually ironic, but mm-hmm. that it's all about agile, about engaging people and self-organizing, working together and kind of, and, you know, and work, working together with humility and focus and engaging with people and getting everyone on board. But if you're product owner, you can solve all of that. You just make a decision, right? And everyone else has got to dance your tune. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't recall when I was more heavily involved in the Scrum community, I don't really remember too much conversation around saying as a product owner, you've got to help align, motivate, you've got to help inspire an organization to get behind you. And yeah, if you may make a decision as to what something's what's going to happen, then everyone should, yeah, you want people to be behind that. Otherwise you're just going to be the person cracking the whip and poking people with sticks because no one's going to believe in it. Yeah. And I think that was something which I remember David Hicks did say something which I found really interesting. This is a few years ago. Was that he said vision isn't an artifact? You know, it's just a shared understanding. The artifact's just maybe a tool that you can use to help create that. But if you're a product person with a vision, then that sort of vision has to be shared. And I thought that was a nice, a nice change in the language I hadn't heard in any previous product owner courses I'd been on, as far as I could remember. That's interesting because I remember David being in the audience at one of my talks many years ago and saying, you know, as a product owner, we were talking about technical debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, as a product owner, if I want to release something with technical debt, then that's within my purview because I'm the owner of the product. And I think I can see where he's coming from with that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really align with my view of, well, we need to take the longer term and the shorter term. And yeah, do I understand the consequences of that? Not just in terms of you know, the scalability and the reliability of the product, but also the morale implications it has for mm. other people and you know, who's going to be the one that's actually supporting that. Probably not him. No. <laughs> um, so it's a hugely difficult role. I mean, even if that role had power and authority, it would still be a very, very difficult role. But given the, the phrase of herding cats is something you often hear with, with product owners, right? They, they've got to corral all these people with very different agendas, very different incentives, very different perspectives, very different needs into actually the, the product, you know, the, what's good for the product and what's good for the organization. And being able to make all all the decisions they need to make with limited authority and almost guaranteed imperfect data Hmm. puts a lot of pressure on them as a person. It can put a lot of pressure on their imposter syndrome, their people-pleasing tendencies, their perfectionism. All of those innate characteristics are going to be put under pressure in this role because of the lack of certainty, because of the, the volatility the ambiguity and all of those people who want something from them and they can't please everybody. Mm. So why, why for the Agile Mastery Institute, was it not product ownership mastery and you went for product mastery? 
Yeah, because one of the things that's bothered me and is we argue about inconsequential things, really. We don't know. We don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the less helpful arguments is product owners versus product managers. I don't think it particularly helps. So when I talk about product, I often talk about product leaders product leadership but product mastery for me the word mastery is important i think mastery matters i think it's actually the ability to do your job really well outside of the context of a taught set of rules or framework so yes learning tools and techniques and perhaps frameworks can be really really helpful but all models are wrong and so when the concept of mastery came up in education benjamin bloom was talking about being able to take knowledge and apply it in different contexts and that's for me the key here is i'm a product person product is important so I need to be able to take lots and lots of different things, hard skills, technical skills, functional skills, but also personal skills, people skills and self-management skills and apply them in my context and continually get better and better and better and better and better at it. So that's why, for me, mastery matters. It's not about learning a tool or a framework, a road mapping canvas or you know, story mapping technique, because if you don't if you can't master what's going on for you as a person when you're trying to use those templates or tools or frameworks, then you're not going to get any value from them. Does anyone know that makes sense? Yeah. So what you, are you saying there's a lot of reflective work then within this to help you understand more about your own motivations and where you, where you sit with things so that you can have the wherewithal to apply different knowledge, your knowledge in different contexts? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, decisiveness, right? So for me, product owners, they need to make lots of decisions. A lot of those decisions, they, they might have authority and control and power over some of them. They don't. A lot of decisions they'll actually need to delegate. And so what we spend a lot of time on, yeah, we'll give you some tools that you can use to help make better decisions some mathematical models and so on. But ultimately, it's a, so when you're faced with these decisions, what's your default go-to? Do you make too quick a decision? You know, are you a bit of a procrastinator? I just want this decision off, off the table as quickly as possible. Do you try and overanalyze the situation? Do you try and put it off because you're worried about how you're going to be judged? And then once you understand yourself, then we can give you some, you know, some better understanding and some tools and techniques to help you know, bring that characteristic into balance. So actually the, the trait of decision-making becomes a lot easier because we're covering you know, what, what the root of that is for you. Hmm. So what would you say are some of the characteristics that separate a less masterful to a masterful product person, product leader? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I talk about, Good and great, right? So good product owners do this, good product owners, great product owners do that. And when it comes to decisiveness, so, you know, good product owners, it takes quite a lot of courage to actually delay a decision until they have to be made. Mm -hmm. It can take quite a lot of courage to say, hold on, we don't need to prioritize that one right now. We don't need to go into detail about that part of the road and the map right now. All right, because there'll be people calling for it. And actually, there's a part of you that would like to clarify that because we like certainty. So good product owners are courageous enough to actually delay decisions until they actually have to make them. Hmm. But great product owners will decide when they can, because it is easier to just defer that decision until tomorrow or until we've got more information or until we've got more data. But you'll never have perfect data. So when it comes to being decisive, it's a balance between actually delaying until the last responsible moment and making good decisions 
not perfect decisions, but good decisions now that are you know, reversible, that are cheap, that are safe, you know, running experiments and so on. So I mean, that's one example for me. They'll make good gambles. They'll take calculated gambles, mm-hmm. but also they know when to walk away. And, and very few product owners are comfortable walking away, you know, cancelling a product, stopping a product, killing a product. But that's one of the huge benefits that I've seen from taking an agile approach is rather than just carrying on throwing good money after bad, because we've already spent this much and there's still stuff in the backlog. Well, hold on a minute. It doesn't make sense for us to have another sprint or another release. Let's stop this now and shift our focus to something else. That takes quite a lot of courage. Hmm. It does. It takes knowing yourself, but it also takes, and going back to what was spoken about earlier, is that no no one product owner generally has that unilateral authority to do that. And there's a lot of conversations and alignment behind making such a decision. And we spoke about using tech deck and motivation. You know, say we're not gonna have we're not gonna have another sprint right now, we're gonna take a moment. That can really impact people's motivation. So maybe mm-hmm. there is a there's a communications gap to overcome when you're gonna make that. There's an environmental gap because maybe you are not in the environment where you can make those calls, or maybe you are, and maybe you make it too rashly. It's a it's a really it's a really difficult situation for product people, I feel. Yeah. I, and so stopping a project. Stopping a product, stopping a sprint, that that actually taps into, and this is going to sound overdramatic, and it always does, but it, there's a huge amount of truth to it. it. There's an element of personal loss to that. Yeah. So I have to yeah. let go of something that I've put effort into, that I've become attached to. Right? All, all good product owners become really attached to what they're working on. They, they, it's their product. It's their baby. Mm-hmm. right? But it's not just their baby. So they've got to come to terms with letting go of something coming to terms with loss yeah it might sound overdramatic but grieving for it yeah that's 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 definitely part of it in my experience but also being aware that other people are attached to this as well now if you haven't got the the power to kill it even more so right you've got to convince somebody else to mm. let go of something to come to terms with loss that could be loss of hope it could be loss of face as much as loss of attachment to what yeah, they thought was a really good idea. Yeah. But loss is a big part of it as well. Loss of a bonus, sadly, yeah. was one of the things that motivated a lot of people and never really got bonuses. That wasn't really a problem for me. But I think that that's a big thing for people. I think I definitely have seen this with product people, at least kind of burgeoning product, product people in large organisations, is that sometimes their person's individual progression is hinged directly or related directly to the success of a release or a particular Mm -hmm. part of the product and it isn't just a case of if you are the main product leader and -hmm. you've got someone that you've invested in and you've made not promises but you've said if you do a good job on this and i think it'll work out really well at the end of the year then to turn around and say yeah by the way you know this part we're not actually going to go ahead with this any further and that also means that you know what i said about your promotion or your bonus or your pay rise probably isn't going to happen either. And I'm really sorry about that. I think yeah. working as part of a team and being a leader of a team and being able to have those conversations, understand what, what promises or commitments to say, or how do you have those you know, hard conversations with people early is something which I've rarely see spoken about, Jeff. And I would love to get you back for another conversation, perhaps around the Scrum Mastery Pathway or the Team Mastery Pathway, I'd love to learn a bit more about the Team Mastery Pathway because that's something which I'm super keen on. 
And I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the next episode, just to annoy people when I was <laughs> mentioning it now. When we finish recording today, you're off to go and record some episode or an episode of the podcast, your podcast. Is that correct? Yeah. So Paul Goddard and I have been running the Agile podcast for about six years or so now. Yeah, we get together and have a relatively informal chat in a, in a pub over a pint about an Agile topic. And yeah, every every year we try and change things up a little bit. Yeah, we're going to have a new structure for, for 2023. So be we're excited about it anyway, and, and hopefully everybody else will, will enjoy it as well. So yeah, check out the Agile podcast. Yeah, I'll put the details to it in the show notes. Cool, thanks. Because it's always, yeah, people love a podcast. And I, and I like recommending other ones. So I will definitely put that in the show notes. So Jeff, thank you very much for this conversation around product ownership, product mastery, and we will reconvene shortly to have cool. a delve into uh, team mastery. So thank you very Cheers much, everyone. Thank you for listening. And so ends episode two of three with Jeff Watts. Now, Jeff will be back for one more short episode in a few days' time. So make sure you subscribe and don't miss that one. This episode saw some absolutely fantastic nuggets of product mastery information. The highlight for me was really contemplating the idea of grieving when, as a product person, you have to let go of something that you love, no matter how good you thought it might have been. Sometimes these things just don't pay off. So thank you very much for listening. I really hope you've enjoyed your one-on-one time with Jeff Watts. We are always open to hear about your ideas, your comments, your problems, suggestions for what you would like us to cover next. So please do let us know via social media. Thank you once again for listening. My name is Ben Maynard and this is the Product Agility Podcast.